Miss the show, no problem. Coming up on point and on our podcast. New censorship rules have been rolled out that are going to affect anyone who's got a platform on social media. It is not law yet, but if passed, it's going to give a new bureaucracy the power to play judge and jury when they are not a court of law. Did the Trudeau government actually ever have a plan to get Afghan interpreters out of danger? Because a plan is a mess and time for these people is running out. So we'll talk about that. And one of the biggest club and restaurant owners in this country prepares for the first big live concert in 16 months. We'll talk about the challenges of putting this thing together with all the restrictions and what the experience of live music will look like. Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I think that uh, it's important for all of us to really respect the sovereignty of other countries and their right to make the decisions that they think are best for them. Yeah. So the best shot isn't the first or the second shot, so suck it up when countries turn us away. Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, July 29th. It is great to have you here on this, uh, what really turned out to be a very hot and sticky day. I literally thought today was supposed to be cold and uh, thought we'd need a sweater. And then I found myself stuck wearing a sweatshirt outside, just sweating to death. So I thought they were wrong. They weren't. It was hot, but uh, tomorrow is when the temperatures dip as we head into this long weekend. I sure hope these guys in the weather department are wrong because uh, it's not looking promising. Let's talk about the good news before we get to the bad news. And the good news is 21 million Canadians are now fully vaccinated. The bad news is that the way we were vaccinated is now shutting us out while the rest of the world moves on. And by now, you know, the UK released its new travel restrictions Wednesday and fully vaccinated Canadians are not part of the plans to ease quarantine restrictions. So American and European travelers are welcome rule free and Canadians aren't. And they aren't saying why. And this includes Canadians double vaccinated with AstraZeneca. This is the very same vaccine that hundreds of millions in the European Union and the UK put into their arms. So why aren't we included? That's what I asked myself. But the UK is just the latest in what is becoming a, a growing number of countries turning Canadians away. I'm not sure if you heard the story about this Ontario man who was denied entry to Trinidad because they won't recognize the mixed vaccines that Alan Preddy put into his arm. And as he told CTV, because of that, he can't go to his own mother's funeral. I just want to go home and bury my mother and take care of her final wishes. That's all, that's all I want. This is ridiculous. I'm here for my mom's funeral. I'm actually executor of her estate. And it's, this isn't a vacation. I literally have to be there. It was checked with a supervisor and they found out that because I have a mixed vaccine, I wouldn't be allowed to go there. What a poor guy. I mean, honestly. But his story's not unique. Um, we have been hearing of several Caribbean islands rejecting Canadians because of the mix of vaccines. And we're still waiting for the United States to give us a decision on when we can travel back and forth. And you got to wonder, is this the holdup? And the Trudeau government promised this would not be an issue. Just get your shot. Any shot will do, they told us. And of course, we did our part. And now it's becoming an issue. 
And so, as you heard off the top, as far as the finance minister is concerned, well, we just have to respect their rules. Really? We can never travel? Now, I'm quite sure the Trudeau government is scrambling behind the scenes to sort this mess out. But as countries around the world are opening up, headlines that we are being shut out are not going to take long to erase Trudeau's glowing vaccine reviews. Because it did get off to a disastrous start. But now Trudeau's taking credit for beating all these vaccine targets. But it appears in their haste, you know, to avoid bad headlines. The Trudeau government, you know, used a creative approach that may actually be putting our peril for his political gain. And keep in mind, and I think it's important, we were the first country to play and change vaccine rules. You know, we were warned by both AstraZeneca and Pfizer not to play with dosing. And Health Canada did just that. They extended first and second shots far longer than any other country. And then as political pressure was mounting, the Trudeau government decided to then play with mixing shots, despite the fact there was no data to know if this was something safe to do or what it might mean for future freedom around the world. And of course, Trudeau will throw Health Canada under the bus to save his hide, but his government's been all too happy to tinker because it was more important to say people are vaccinated. Look what we did than make sure we got vaccinated properly. And so here we are with millions of Canadians vaccinated just in time for an election and a growing list of countries telling us, don't bother, stay home. And if this can't be corrected and can't be corrected quickly, these bad headlines will pile up for a government that stated what we were doing wouldn't be an issue. And then to make matters worse, now we learn that millions of AstraZeneca shots that we imported from the United States weren't properly inspected. And so jog your way back to March when the Trudeau government was so desperate to get supply. Remember, we bought up 1.5 million AstraZeneca shots that weren't being used in the U.S. because they don't and didn't approve AstraZeneca. And these are doses that were produced at a plant in Baltimore that has had all sorts of problems and was forced to stop production several times because, well, first they were caught cross-contaminating Johnson & Johnson shots with materials used in AstraZeneca, but the factory was also cited for unsanitary conditions and ill-trained workers. And production at the facility is still halted, which has left tens of millions of vaccines sitting there collecting dust. And Health Canada says, well, you know, we're confident the shops are safe. But they did admit that it assumed quality controls were in place and that products met standards. In other words, the Trudeau government, so desperate to get vaccines, took supply with no checks or balances. Consequences be damned. How do you not know that due diligence was not done? Isn't this on a checklist? Did you check the vaccines? And when there are so many stories about one company, one factory, one producer that has been constantly in the news for months, you don't double check? I guess not. Oh, well. The good news is I don't think anyone's died. But again, this comes down to wanting to have the headline that millions of Canadians are getting vaccinated ahead of targets when... The real story is we cut a lot of corners and we played a lot of games with dosing and mixing. And now 
we're having trouble doing things like traveling. So is the first shot the best shot? Well, it might be for his electoral success. But it is starting to look like a game of vaccine roulette that may keep us here in Canada while the whole world moves on. Let us talk about a story that actually is a very big headline and should not be ignored. And you can dress this thing up any way you want. But Bill C-36 is a censorship bill. Or is it Bill C-10? Now I've got myself confused. Um, but either way, this is a censorship bill, and we now have details of how this new law will work should it get passed. And if you use any social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok, this is going to affect you should it pass. And the bill broke itself down into five categories. There was the terror content, content that incites violence, hate speech, intimate images shared non-consensually, and child sexual exploitation. Now... We already have laws in the books for all of these offenses, so why do we need a new bureaucracy to police this? Because yes, they will create a digital safety commissioner, which will police the content we put online, and they will have the power to enforce their newly defined laws. They will be able to inspect and have inspection powers. They can enter your content anytime they please, and they'll be able to hand out penalties, including fines anywhere from 10 to $25 million dollars hand your case over to a prosecutor, and force telecom services to block and filter content. You don't think it's a big deal? You will when it's your TikTok account that they are after. Laurie Goldstein is editor emeritus of column, is a columnist over at the Toronto Sun. That's how I know you. Laurie Goldstein <laughs> with the Toronto Sun joining us now. Um, hey, great of you to join me, Laurie. You know, on the surface, I think a lot of people will say, great, who doesn't want to fight hate? But that's not what this bill is about because it's so flawed. Yeah, you covered the, a lot of the problems. And remember, that this isn't, uh, you know, if the government thought this was so um, important, why are they announcing the details of what they plan to do if they win the next election while the prime minister is running around spending billions of dollars, you know, bribing us with their own money? So, so the first issue is, well, how serious were they about this? Obviously, they weren't uh, that serious. And, and you, you remarked on the confusion between this one, which is C-36, which is about, you know, the... the the, the big sites and 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 what they carry, uh, not to be confused with Bill C-10, which is yeah, the one that C-10. the minister responsible could never explain, which was yes. <laughs> content and and you, that's going to regulate. So look, um, if these things are so serious to them, why are they telling us about them now? Um, uh, if if Trudeau calls an election, Parliament uh, everything's dissolved. He has to start over on both these bills now. On this one specifically, with what they've you know told us today, you announced the, the problems uh, of them pretty completely, except for one, which is that they can hold in-camera hearings. Yeah. They can have secret hearings deciding yeah. these issues. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 this, these are not serious people. This is not a serious government when it comes to the law. And that's why, whatever the content's in, we should specifically not trust this government. This government and this prime minister interfered in a, prose- a prosecution because he thought it would, it would help him politically in Quebec. Now, that, that, well, that was a criminal case. Here, what they're doing is, like you say, well, we have laws for this. And they go, oh, yes, we have laws, but those are criminal um, laws. And it's really hard to convict people on criminal laws. So what we're mm-hmm. going to do is take all those criminal laws 
and establish a regulatory non-criminal um, uh, you know, procedure that will, that will have like so that we can so that we can find the hell out of people and all those kind of, of things. Look, the more power you give government, the more danger is it will abuse that power. We've seen right. this government abuse that power in trying to drop a criminal prosecution of a company in prosecuting Mark Norman, the former vice admiral. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where the where the the prime minister. Oh, yeah, well, this all have to be settled in the courts. And, and like these are, I don't mean they're physically dangerous people, but these are dangerous people because they they think they they appeal. They understand that people want who who is in who is in favor of no hate speech on the internet. You know, where's mm. the big pro hate speech lobby? The issue is how do you do it? And what they're doing here is they're, they're trying to create a regulatory howitzer. Um, and we know it's going to be abused. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, yeah, because you guys will be in there first, and then people like me, because you'll get these pesky people making complaints because something I said online hurt exactly. someone's feelings. Then they take it to the regulatory body. This regulatory body will have the power to play judge and jury, but they're not a court. But 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 the penalties are actually quite serious. They can be quite destructive to someone's life. And and first it's me, then it's you, but then it's just the person on TikTok trying to have fun. Uh, look, uh, one of the things I say is our former lawyer at the Toronto Sun was a great lawyer uh, in terms of, in terms of, of you know all kinds of law that affected our business, you know libel law, uh, human rights legislation, and all that. And he told me uh, at one point, I would rather be in a court with real judges and yeah. real uh, prosecutors and real um, uh, defenders to, to, to argue these things than into, into these things, which will be, it's going to be a glorified Ontario Human Rights Commission with teeth. Sure. That's what it's yeah. going to be. And it's going to be these, these, these adjudicators who have no concept of, of innocent or proven guilty. Uh, but like, well, here's the thing. When you're charged criminally, the standard is very high for you to be convicted. It's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And the reason is, the reason there's that high standard is that when it's a criminal case, somebody's freedom is at stake. So that's why you have that high standard. When you get into civil and regulatory stuff, it doesn't have that standard. It, it becomes, in civil law, it becomes the balance of probabilities, which is still kind of reasonable. But when you get into these administrative tribunals, it's basically what the adjudicator thinks. And, and our former lawyer said to me, if they want to find something, they'll find a way to do it. You know, if they right. want to make a decision where everybody will look at it and go, how the heck did they come to that? Right. They'll find a way to do it. And, and so and, and the other thing is, you and I may never actually be brought before or other journalists and other people who comment through Twitter and TikTok and blah, blah, blah. We may never be brought before. But it's like the sword of, of Damocles, I think that's the right pronunciation, hanging over your head. The very fact well, it puts that a chill. It, it puts a chill. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like a, a you know uh, when someone um, gives you a cease and desist. It's like that 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 chill. Like don't say anything more. And and sadly, a lot of people just say, okay, I've, I've got to shut up unless you've got like the real fortitude of of spending the next five or six years of your life trying to fight these things, which I don't have the energy for. But I mean, this has not worked. Fighting hate or mean things or hurt feelings on the Internet has not worked in any other country. So I do not know why they think it's going to hurt here. 
I think I think they know it's not going to work. I just think this is sort of they want to do two things. They want to appeal to their to their base, which is, you know, and they want to appeal to the broader public. Oh, we're going to pass laws to fight hate crime. Um, Well, who could possibly uh, object to that? And they want it to be a wedge issue in terms of when people have to like like when we talk about it. We know each other. We trust each other. It's easy to, to talk about this in, in you know, open and, and, and very blunt terms. But if, but if a politician, like a conservative politician, is, is on the uh, campaign trail, and this comes up, right, as it will, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, well, da, 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 and then the conservative is going to go, oh, but, but, but wait a minute, you know, there's some real concerns here, <laughs> like, like um, on your other legislation, C-10, a former CRTC commissioner said, it was a disaster. Civil libertarians said it was a disaster. So they're going to say that about this. And what's the liberal response going to be? It's going to be so you don't want to fight hate. You're yeah. in favor yeah. of the white supremacists. We yeah. know that's what they're going to do. Um, you know, well, but that's after they play the abortion card. Well, you know, look, we can always tell an election's coming because the liberals are talking about um, uh, abortion. But that's that's what this is. It's 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 serious legislation. I mean, if if it's passed in this form, it's 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 very. And look what they just did. They basically Parliament. He shuts down Parliament. Right. The Prime Minister shuts down Parliament for the summer. That's great. He's going out handing out checks across the country, and suddenly government officials say, "Well, you know this law that we were thinking of, but we haven't passed." Well, well, here's what here's what's going to be in it, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. You have yeah. to have an election first, and we and so the government might even have the power. So all they're doing is they're getting out this stuff so they can say they're on it, they're on hate crime, and when anybody says uh, or or pornography or, or terrorism, um, and whenever anybody says, well, wait a minute. Right. The political spots in a campaign will be, well, if the uh, leader of the conservative party doesn't think it's important to to uh, fight the kind of hatred that led to the attack on that poor Muslim family in, in, in London, which was a terrible attack and which the criminal justice system will deal with. But that's the thing. Once you once you say there's a problem in the simplistic thing of, of, of um, elections and how they're reported in sound bites. Oh. You're against stopping yeah. the hate crime. You're against stopping terrorism. You're against stopping pornography. Uh, this is what this is. You know, it, it, we have a democratically elected government, but these kind of strategies are what demagogues use. They, they just are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and again, it plays to the identity politics. It creates the yep. division. And then people, you know, and, and a lot of people who don't research or, or actually look into these things, they just eat it up, buy it up. And, and you know, and before you know it, it's a it's a truth. We'll see what happens with this. Is that things aren't law, so there will be an election. And, you know, on a whole bunch of issues, Canadians will decide who they want to elect them. And so ultimately, uh, I can't fault them for that. Uh, I mean, you know, they, they, um, (laughs) on C10, they were like, oh, you know, we couldn't get it through the Senate, and that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And and the Tories and and the opposition used procedural tricks. No, Prime Minister. Uh, last, uh, last, last, last summer, you prorogued Parliament so you could get out of answering questions on the Wee scandal. When you prorogued Parliament, C10 died, and you had to bring it back, and then you rushed it through. And the Senate said, as the as the House was shutting down this summer, uh, no, no, we have too many. So don't blame, uh, you know, don't blame the people who went. Well, no, wait a minute, you know. 
he was the one who killed C-10 when he prorogued Parliament. He knew that, and he did it to get out of answering tough questions on another scandal, which was the Wee scandal. So, so yeah. you, you know, the idea that this has to do with, with ending hate speech and pornography and da-da-da, um, all the things that we don't want, uh, well, okay, but you're not serious about it. This is politicking. That's all it is. And you're going you're gonna to pass these dumb laws, and then we're going to be living with them for years. And I guarantee you, Alex, there are going to be decisions that come out of this body where everybody's going to, from the left, the right, and the center, are going to scratch their heads and go, how the heck did this happen? It's, 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 no it's, a, it's a given. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. It, of course it is. Nonetheless, it will not fool us. Uh, appreciate your time on this, Laurie. I'm pretty sure I won't talk to you again, so you have a terrific long weekend. <laughs> Take care now. Thank you. Laurie Goldstein joining us. It's kind of like their uh, two-day summit. They had one for Islamophobia and one for anti-Semitism, as if you can solve these issues in one day. And if you really wanted to solve it, you'd have been working on it for a long time because anti-Semitism's been going up for years. All identity politics, it's very divisive, so don't get caught by the games. People who have worked for Canada, who therefore absolutely have the right to come to Canada, should be getting on those planes as quickly as possible. So that is the finance minister, Krista Freeland, uh, and she is right. These Afghan interpreters should be getting on planes. The problem is they can't, thanks to what looks like a bureaucratic mess that's been rolled out, and that is in you know no way helping these people. And the Trudeau government announced last week it was fast-tracking the settlement of these Afghan interpreters. But what we're hearing from both these interpreters and Canadian vets trying to get them out of there is that the immigration departments made this process to resettle them absolutely impossible. And the main issue is that government officials have given them just 72 hours to get all the paperwork and applications filled out. And they want documents proving, you know, things like their address and proof that they're under the direct threat of the Taliban. Problem is that a number of these interpreters have had either their homes destroyed or the Taliban have taken them, which means they can't go and get the necessary documents they need. And they're also saying there's no clarity on application forms of how they get their extended family members into Canada or prove that they're under the direct threat of Taliban because apparently the Taliban doesn't announce, you know, who they're going to kill or go after. Odd that. Corey Shelson is a retired captain in the Canadian Armed Forces, president of 44 North Digital Marketing. He's also a part of this grassroots effort put forward by Canadian vets who are helping interpreters get to Canada. It's called Not Left Behind. Good to have you, Captain. Thanks for having me. Um, how do you characterize? I mean, I think there was a lot of, of hope that the government was moving um, on, on this thing. And, and to me, I thought, OK, well, this is convenient uh, in, in time for an election. But how do you characterize what's uh, what's happening here? It's funny. I just finished an interview and uh, the way I described it was Bush League. And this okay. is a this is a second rate attempt that is culturally and situationally insensitive you can think about it like playing the Stanley Cup playoffs and we're, we put our fourth line on the ice. And when I say the fourth line, I mean the people in the immigration office that drafted this email and sent it out to these, uh, you know, people who are, you know, basically hanging on for their lives. Uh, bureaucracy and red tape at its finest. And in right. no way does this resemble the flexible and inclusive program that was announced on Friday. 
Yeah. And, and, and you use the term Bush League. I mean, you, you, I mean, I think people have to remember, including this government, these people basically are in the bush. It's not like they're in Toronto or an urban center where they can go off to, you know, one of these facilities and say, here, I need this document. I need that document. I mean, some of these people are in the middle of nowhere and they just don't have access to things in this kind of timely manner. And so what kind of help is being offered? I mean, as I understand it, they need 10 different documents scanned uh, by Adobe Acrobat in a country that has these low literacy rates and the patchy internet service. And so what kind of assistance are they getting and, and what is the deadline for them to get this done? So a few questions there. The deadline apparently doesn't exist anymore. Oh, so, okay. yeah. So uh, yesterday the email went out to all of the Afghan interpreters. And when I say all, I mean a bunch of them, but a whole bunch of others received nothing. I am connected with a handful of them. And so they immediately forwarded it to me and said, what the, what the heck's going on here? And uh, our group of collective veterans and concerned citizens started reaching out to the media saying, hey, what the heck here? And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, the government announced, hey, by the way, the 72 hour thing, yeah, it was more to create urgency, but we're going to be you know we're not going to hold them to it okay well that's a pretty big point here and uh, i guess my question is where were the checks and balances in the immigration office before this email went went out like we've got some pretty smart guys that were sitting on on you know on the podium there on friday you've got an astronaut uh who else did we have uh an intelligence officer. yeah yeah, yeah uh, an intelligence officer hard to say jan who served with these people mm -hmm. These are smart individuals. I don't think they would have signed off on this email as it went out. Uh, I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, which suggests that this was hastily put together. It, absolutely. And that concerns me, given it took them 15 days to respond to the open letter that General Frazier, Milner and Thompson drafted. So a total of 19 days passed between the time that the open letter was sent and the time that this uh, announcement or this email went out to these interpreters. So let's call it almost three weeks. Mm -hmm. And in three weeks, that's the best plan we could come up with. Send out a whole bunch of paperwork that are more complicated than doing your personal tax return and expect people in a country where only 13% of them have access to the internet to somehow be able to download a 200 megabyte installation <laughs> file for Adobe Acrobat Reader and then open up a bunch of forms that are in English when the majority of the people we're trying to evacuate only speak Dari or Pashto. None of yeah. the instructions were provided in Dari. None of the <laughs> instructions were provided in Pashto. And you've got these people now taking unnecessary risk to try and fill out an application form that I tried, I mean, I went through it line by line myself. It is tough, it is complicated. Yeah, and I think I think you're right to point out that Harjit Sajjan should have known first and foremost that this would have been an issue. But I get the sense they wanted this issue off the plate heading into an election because it is getting a lot more attention uh, and certainly headlines around the world. But it seems to me that the bar has been set so high that a lot of these people are going to be left behind. Well, I sure hope not. And I think this is, you know, what, what am I trying to accomplish here by, you know, talking to you and continuously talking to the media? I think I'm a, just another guy that thinks this just isn't right. And we're going to hold the government accountable because these are our, the people that we care about and people we served with. Right. I've got three asks. Number one, immediately the immigration office, the IRCC, as it's referred to as, needs to send revised instructions to all of the stranded Afghan interpreters to calm them down and to calm the panic. We are, mm -hmm. we are being inundated. When I say we, yeah. I mean 
people through their own personal Facebooks and their own social media are being inundated with the panic uh, messages. That's the yeah. first thing that has to happen. Calm these people down, send them the revised instructions because guess what? Even though here in Canada, apparently the 72 hour deadline doesn't apply anymore. None of these people in Afghanistan know that. Yeah. Unless, unless guys like me have, you know, flipped them a WhatsApp message and saying like, Hey dude, don't worry about it. The 72 hour deadline doesn't matter. Okay. Right. So Which means they might be going into territory, trying to rush around to get this stuff, putting themselves, um, you know, in harm's way. And, and we've talked to Robin Rickards about this and he, the reason he can't talk is because he's inundated in these emails, trying to get the word out on the ground to kind of relax and let's get our bearings. Um, but you know, the bottom line is they've got to get out of this country. Time is not on their side. And so what are you guys being told to relay to them? And how is this process going to be worked out? And what's, when are they coming here? Well, that, that leads into my second ask, Mike. So right. the first thing I want is a clarification. The second thing I want is for the IRCC and the folks in this government to apply a little bit of common sense to what we're doing here and adopt a bit of a, a, a more of an agile evacuation plan that gets rid of this laborious paperwork right. and, and shifts it to, let's get some planes on the ground to any of the international airports that are still open. And right now there are a handful. Let's contact the individuals that we already have the information for. There are hundreds of these families that we've known about for years, that we have all their documentation on file and it's been handed to the government by the Afghan Canadian Interpreters Group. Contact those people, discreetly tell them to get to the airport and get them to Trenton, Ontario, where they mm -hmm. can do all, take all the time they need to do the paperwork. But it doesn't make any sense to do this while they're in safe houses and hiding from the Taliban. That's what needs to happen. A very simple evacuation, no different than what we did with the Syrians four or five years ago. Right. And that does seem to make sense. And, and we do know that Canadian officials, or we've been told that they're already on the ground. Um, but but to centralize an operation like that, as you know, Corey, that's going to take time. And so do you get the sense that, um, you know, the immigration minister and, and all of these brains are going to actually get this done? Because all they care about right now is campaigning. Well, that's, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I'm not a politician, but, you know, let's call a spade a spade. I think the only thing these people care about right now is getting reelected. And it's, I wish I could swear right now, it's BS. I mean, these well, are humans, humans, yeah. humans lives are at risk and screw the election, get these people evacuated or guess what? This is going to become a, this is going to be a, an election issue because mm -hmm. we're not, we're, the, the liberal government is not doing what they say they're, they're doing. Their actions are not reflecting their words. And is this the kind of government that we should be voting back in? Not on my books, not on my watch. And guess what? Guys like me. We're going to be watching every single move and we are going to be talking to you and we're going to be advocating for these people who can't advocate for themselves. Well, the um, good thing is that they do have you guys fighting for them and in their, their corner. And so we'll wait and see what the fallout is as the news kind of gets out there. Corey, I really appreciate your time on this. I appreciate your time and thank you for bringing uh, light to such an important issue. And as retired captain of the Canadian Armed Forces and president of 44 North Digital Marketing, Corey Shelson, joining us. They are with a grassroots group called Not Left Behind. If you want information or to help these guys out, do so and call your MP demanding action now. Great to have you here on this Thursday with us. And for me, nothing spells normal than going to a live music event. 
So I was uh, pretty excited to see that Toronto is launching its first outdoor live venue on the weekend of August 15th, and it will be um, a performance with eight DJs who will take the stage at a venue down at the Portlands in what really is the first big kind of live musical event that we've seen in 16 months. And it's billed as Together Again, and no one should be surprised to learn that the man behind this vision is entertainment juggernaut Charles Caboose, who is owner of Inc. Entertainment and has been coming on the show pretty regularly since the start of this whole mess. Good to have you, Charles. I'm so happy to be on the show with nothing but positive news. Exciting. No kidding. <laughs> We've gone through a lot, you and I, with interviews at some of the saddest moments in my life, and this is definitely one of the happiest moments of my life coming around. Isn't that amazing? Because we have talked, I mean, you went through this transition of being, you know, optimistic and hopeful. And then, you know, throughout it got harder and harder for you, you know, to keep the spirits up. But just the fact that you can actually get back to what you do, it just does the body and soul a whole lot of good. Definitely. I mean, uh, listen, mentally has been our biggest, biggest downfall. It's been uh, devastating mentally to all of us. And, uh, especially us who are in the industry of entertaining people and celebrating with people and, you know, to, to finally uh, come together again, which is the name of our uh, first mm -hmm. big event. Of course, it's an outdoor yeah. event. Uh, we can't do anything indoor yet, uh, larger than 250, but this is a massive outdoor space um, and we're ready. Just before we dive into this particular event, how has it been going since, I mean, there still are a lot of restrictions that I think people forget about on restaurants and indoor spaces. And so how has it been going for you? I mean, you own some of the bigger um, places to eat and you certainly have all your clubs. And I think those are still strictly, um, you know, limited to about 250. How's it going? I mean, the, the, the clubs, uh, we sell 250 uh, pre-sold tables um, with bottles and, and, and drinks. And those are selling out in a matter of an hour. So it's been a couple of weeks now. And uh, within an hour of announcing that we're going on sale, they sell out. The demand yeah. is massive. People are begging really to be uh, let in. And unfortunately, you know, we, we can't. But uh, it's good to see the drive is there. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to see that, you know, uh, there's hardly any infections in the city. I mean, we're, we're down less than 1% and have been for a few weeks now. So people are very optimistic. The demand is massive in the restaurants and the clubs and the bars. The demand is insane, not just for me, but for everyone. Yeah, there's a lot of pent-up, um, you know, want for, for freedom and to have some fast fun. And you had to cut your staff from about, as I recall, the numbers 3,000 down to like a skeleton staff of barely anything. Well, have you been able to bring that back? Well, we, you know, we had uh, fluctuate around 2,400, 2,500 mm -hmm. staff, went down to 11 <laughs> at, at the beginning of, uh, you know, middle of March. We went down to 11 employees, mainly senior staff, and uh, now we're ramping up. Now the problem is that a lot of the staff have exited the business, yeah. especially on the restaurant side. And this is not just Toronto. This is globally. I have friends in Europe in the business. We mm. have businesses in... Uh, I have a restaurant that uh, was supposed to open a couple of weeks ago in Miami, and we're delayed mm. a month and a half strictly based on finding staff. Toronto is just as bad, if not worse, Again, wow. it's a global thing. A lot of people got tired of waiting. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, when are we going to reopen? So people have, a lot of people have moved on to different careers, different opportunities, moved back home. Um, yeah. That is our, uh, that is our issue now in our industry. It's mainly finding staff. And the people yeah. I just saw first one in Canada here online in Toronto doing exactly what Miami was doing giving 400 and 500 dollar bonus to anybody signing up for the job jeez wow well you know i i hope um you know once stability comes back and it might take a, a couple of years or whatever hopefully that that goes away because i know not just for you but it's a huge issue for um you know restaurant and hospitality the whole industry so you've come up with this event on sunday august 15th um, down at the portlands and it's called together again how many people are you able to get together, and what have some of the challenges been for you? Well, the challenge is before we set up this event, we had to make sure we can adhere to all the requirements for um, health uh, and safety. And uh, we came up with a plan that's that's uh, acceptable by the city. <clears throat> we don't expect a you know massive crowd because we're still somewhat limited, but. Mm-hmm. 3,000 people, which is a huge, That's okay. yeah. a huge thing, you know, for us in Toronto now uh, to have 3,000 people. It's a parking lot that could hold an outdoor area that we're setting up with food trucks and, and private tables and so on that would normally hold. We had an event there once for 16,000 people. Jeez. So there's still wow. a huge amount of uh, social distancing happening and, and uh barricaded areas and so on but it will be for the first time in almost 18 months that there'll be 3000 people together anywhere in Canada not just Toronto yeah so it's and very, i got to be honest exciting. Yeah, and when you get, and, and well, the DJ scene's not really my thing. I mean, I love seeing a show with fewer people. I like the intimacy of, of having less people at that kind of event. And the nice thing is, um, you know, you don't get, those kinds of events can get very hot and very, you know, sweaty. This way you can kind of spread out and enjoy the, enjoy the performance and, and do things that way. How difficult, Charles, was it to get things like, you know, liability, um, you know, insurance? I know that the insurance industry has been very tough on ho- the hospitality industry. Is that still a struggle? It's definitely a struggle, and I, not many people would have been able to get insurance. It's just that we do a lot of big events. We're actually doing uh, one in Montreal called Sonic Island, which we yeah. normally do 35, 40,000 people, but we're limited to 5,000 in Montreal, so we're doing that one. So we have a relationship with insurance companies and liability uh, for liability issues, and we have a general insurance policy that covers quite a bit. So it's easier when you're in the business of doing massive events, when you are mm-hmm. used to and you have a good rapport and relationship with the insurance and very low uh, claims. Um, it's easier for us, but it's still very, very tough. To be honest, there's only two companies globally today that are writing insurance policies for big events or big nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Only two in the world. 
Jeez, that's that's that is that's quite something. And I know that there are also challenges not just in wait staff and, and hospitality staff. I mean, it's really difficult in the live performance to get you know the guys and the gals who set up the stages and all that. They've all had to find other work too. So I'm hoping this is the starting point where all of these people who are behind the scenes can come back to what they love to do and know how to do it. Do you consider together again kind of a test show um, and and the start and kind of the the show to, to figure out what works and what doesn't definitely it's uh, it's i'm looking at this like we're starting all over again yeah you know because we're doing a lot of things quite differently from before we've all taken things um you know to, to just normal normal things before now is no longer normal normality is a completely different world today so yeah. we're pivoting, we're, we're changing our way of thinking, we're changing our security, our paramedics, our way of getting in and out, our, you know, separating bathrooms. It's, it's just a lot of work that is uh, new to us, but it might be the new norm for, you know, a year or two or three or four, who knows. Um, and just enormous, enormous, enormous costs just in the pandemic um, safety equipment, like the, the panels enormous. and all the things that you have to, to put in. Do you get any help from the government on that? Um, we are getting a little bit uh, different things. Like we, we do have an outdoor theater that we're getting some funding from the government, which is very helpful because we're paying out almost double the amount we normally do. Right. Uh, all the rates have gone up. Sure. Look, I just... Uh, uh, if you get a shipment from China, because we are getting some lighting and LED lighting from China, for example, we had to bid on a container. I know this is going to sound yeah. weird. We had to bid. There was a bidding war because there's a limited yeah. amount of, of uh, containers from China to North America. So you bid. It's no longer this is the typical. So Sometimes we think this is going to cost ten thousand, ends up costing twenty five thousand because there's a bidding war. Um, yeah, there's a supply. Yeah, we've talked about it on this show that there's a real supply demand issue happening, and so the the, the container you might have paid and been guaranteed for three thousand, someone will come in and say, "No, I'll take it for thirty thousand, and then you're out whatever you need." Um, is the event itself uh, is it sold out already? We went on sale a couple of days ago. We're halfway there. Um, maybe more. Uh, I think we're close to 2,000 and we're going to cap it at 3,000. So the opportunity to get a ticket might be another two or three days and then we'll be sold out. And where do, get, and where do people get tickets? They're online. There you go to inkentertainment.com okay. and it directs you to uh, a website uh, where you can buy tickets. It's all through Ticketmaster, but mainly you go through our website and uh, it'll direct you to the right uh you know, space. Well, look, I was so pleased to see that this is on, that you're behind it, and that this is really, I think, the first kind of big step forward. And I think a lot of people should get excited about it no matter what, because it's a taste of normal and uh, certainly your industry uh, deserves that. So I'm very uh, hopeful for you guys, and I'm hoping that we'll talk again. And it's just nice to hear the smile in your voice again. Thank you so much, Alex. We're very excited. Thank you. Good stuff. Good luck. Charles Kabuth, owner of Inc. Entertainment. Boy, oh boy, have they been tested this last couple of years. All these guys have been tested like no other. And so here they are. And so it is very nice to hear uh, that things are looking better. Well, let's keep it that way. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp to listen every day. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.